0: Untitled song. Uh, people give it a title, but the author called it Untitled Song. I'm not even sure that it has uh, the author to it. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Won't you take your Bible? Uh, can you hear me back there, Brother Dave? Are you good to go? Good. Turn to the book of Philippians again this morning and uh, I want the Word of God to help us and to speak to us. Several months back, I encourage you to. Take the book of Philippians and read it uh, once a week. Read one chapter a day. Uh, and if you're really adventurous to read it uh, every day, it's only four chapters. It doesn't take long to read it all. A very rich book, one that in our day you want to become familiar with, and it will help you. Uh, several years ago, I was involved in a business relationship um, Uh, that was involved with our church, and uh, the manager that was under the owner of the business was a very ego-driven leader, very difficult to work with. The good news, I didn't have to work with him very much, and uh, he had a conflict with uh, someone that was uh, in our group, and uh, I didn't know about it. I, I found out about it, though. And when I found out about it, it was uh, just an incredibly uh, petty matter, just a very insignificant thing. And so uh, I did what you're supposed to do, what the Bible teaches in Matthew chapter 18. It says you go to a person privately, you don't handle things like that on Facebook or Twitter, the way people do today. Uh, I went to this business and they didn't do, that's not biblical uh, Matthew 18 is for the church, but the principles transcend the church. And so uh, I, I dealt with him privately, tried to broker a peace. I, the problem wasn't with me. It was with a, another person. But whenever you deal with a, a a person that's filled with pride and self, and, and that was uh, part of his problem, as we all deal with that at times, um, it just got nowhere. In fact, the more I spoke, the worse it got. And you could not deal with him on the basis of logic. And you know, the Bible talks about that in, in one of the minor prophets, I believe. Uh, I better not quote it today. I want to say it's Micah, but I don't think that's it. But it talks about the deceit of pride. Uh, pride is deceitful. It will deceive your heart. And uh, people that are arrogant, they they base their decisions on self, not on logic. And so I I could not appeal to his logic. Uh, What he did not know is I had some information uh, at hand that I I could have made some calls. I could have uh, sent some emails that could have gotten him into trouble and perhaps have got him reassigned or maybe got him fired. But I never made those calls. I I never sent those emails. I wanted to. I wasn't even in the line of fire. But I was trying to resolve this conflict. But here's why I didn't do it. Because I knew that at that moment when I wanted to do hurt to him, that my heart was guided by anger and retaliation. And the Bible says that... Uh, James chapter 1, and filled with Proverbs, that uh, when we when we speak, when we're angry, when we make decisions when we're angry, we, we do foolish things, we say foolish things. And so I thought, I, I'm not going to do that right now, I just don't need to say anything, don't need to do anything. And then secondly, I knew that he this man had a family, and that... Uh, whatever malicious intent that I had was wrong to satisfy that seeming sense of justice for the people. By the way, the people that he was upset at didn't know it. They still don't know it. <laughs> I was trying to get in and solve the problem. But it was wrong for me to satisfy those desires of exacting this, this sense of justice at the cost of his family. What if it did affect his job? Is that right for his family? I didn't think so. But the main reason, the main reason that I hesitated to get involved was because a friend, a personal friend was under him. And it could have affected him and uh, the business that he was in. And you know, the Bible talks about uh, uh, taking hits, basically. Uh, It says, I had rather be done wrong. I'd rather be defrauded and taken advantage of than you. And really, the only thing that I was taking advantage of was to be the brunt of his, uh, shall I say this, stupidity. And uh, maybe the satisfaction of of tit for tat and say, there, I ended up. On top side, I got you. You got fired, didn't you? That felt good, didn't it? You know, meekness in the Bible. Someone said meekness is not weakness. Meekness is is using your strength. It is restraint. Someone said, if you think meekness is weakness, try being meek for a week. Meekness is not weakness. It's restraining. It's the restraint of strength. And so... I said, I I can't do that to my friend. And then, too, I realized that uh, nobody that has these flaws, because I had found out that he treated a lot of people this way. I wasn't the only car in the lane that he had hit. It was just a habit. You cannot treat people like this over the long haul without reaping what you sown. So I felt like, you know, this is this is not my battle, and I'm I'm going to get a good night's sleep. You know, he probably does. He doesn't maybe understand the damage he does to other people. Can I say this? This is not the message this morning. But when you are vengeful, when you're bitter, when you want to extract revenge, uh, you, you lose peace. You lose rest. It's just not worth it. Now, all of us experience conflict. But when conflict goes on, it begins to to, to bubble up. It becomes severe. Um, families divide. Marriages are broken. As I said before, we've talked about this. People don't come home from holidays. Churches split. Friends that used to be... Close, the Bible says a whisper separated the chief friends. And it all comes back to to conflict. A conflict is inevitable. But some conflicts are unnecessary. Can I say this, that those are the ones that drive me nuts. I'm talking about the ones in my marriage, the ones with my kids. I mean the ones, the ones among church members I remember I was talking to a a very well-known preacher one time, and he was advising me on some things. I'd heard him say it publicly and privately, he told me. He said, I have, I believe the number was 560. I'm not sure, but it was 500 and something. But let's say it was 560. He said, "I, I have 560 employees at my church. And he said, the biggest problems that I have in my church are not with the members, it's with the employees getting along with each other. And I thought, boy, isn't that something? Just getting your team, your 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 pastors, the people that are supposed to love one another uh, to get along. Conflict begins to simmer. I want to give you some quick observations. It's not the message, but I want you to think about this. Some observations about church splits. I want to talk to you about unity this morning again. Because these principles... Uh, they apply to other areas of your life. Observations about church splits. Number one, they're rarely over doctrine, especially essential doctrine. They're usually petty issues. Uh, what color are we going to put in? The carpet are we going to put in? I don't like the decision in this area. Very, 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 very rarely do churches split over essential areas. They split no preferences. Number two, they don't happen suddenly. They've been brewing a while. Number three, they don't happen without warning. There's some signs that have been there. Usually it happens with a, a strong leader that's upset and he or she, and yes, I said she, have been recruiting to pull people over to their side or their perspective. Somebody said this one time. People are blind-sighted, S-I-D-E-D, because they're blind-sighted, S-I-G-H-T-E-D. I I think that's true. Because we have not had the foresight, as Proverbs talks about. We haven't had the wisdom, the observation. This happened to me sometimes. I can be so oblivious, I'm so focused on something, that I forget what's happening at home sometimes. You know, especially when the kids were in your policy. You didn't hear that? You didn't see that? No. No? No. We're blindsided because we're blindsided. And then fourth, about church splits, they do lasting damage. Lasting damage to the name of Jesus, the testimony of the local church within its community. But they also do lasting damage to the people that are involved. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. But some of you have been involved. Maybe it wasn't a church split, but it was a church argument. Maybe it was a business meeting. Maybe it was something out in the parking lot where you saw some leaders or just some people that were well-known in the church that should have known better. And it has marked you. And it will mark you. And I'll tell you, church, listen, we need to remember these things just for the cause and the sake of of these young people, these teenagers and these children that come to, come to our church. You, know, you, you may be able to get on with some things, but with their, their hearts are being shaped and formed. And some of you don't understand. They put you up on a pedestal, pedestal, and they're more idealistic sometimes. We must be careful. And then fifthly, and this is why I'm bringing these messages, with, first of all, they're in the Word of God, but they can be avoided. Church splits can be avoided. They don't need to happen. The vast majority of church splits need not happen. So here's the question, how is conflict reduced and unity maintained? I don't hear hear the way I phrase that. How is conflict reduced and unity maintained? That's a negative way of expressing it and a positive way of expressing it. Now, how how do you do that in your marriage? Because the same principles apply with your friendships. See, some of you, you struggle getting along with people. And whatever environment you're in, it it just becomes a lightning rod. I believe this will, will help you. Remember, as a parent, sometimes you'll be trying to help your kids and you'll get them together. You're going out for a night with your spouse, and you get a babysitter in, and you'll come in, you'll exhort and challenge the children to unity. You have more. Now I want you to get along. Has that worked for you? It doesn't work. And it doesn't work for pastors just to challenge the church to unity. Now, understand what I'm saying. It's just an empty challenge. Now, we need, we, we, need to, we need to work together. What are the nuts and bolts of that thing? And that's what we've been looking at. That's why we've been taking some time here in Philippians 2. Because it's, it's more than just a church. Listen, if you get along at home, you'll get along in church. I promise you, you show me a cantankerous man in church. He's cantankerous at home. I promise you. So the problem is not just limited to one area. Unity is not an accident. Unity is a result of other factors. It's a byproduct. There's an organic unity. And here's what I mean by that. Unity is the byproduct of the life of Christ in us. We sang, I love the line in the song we sang earlier, that holiness is Jesus in me. Jesus in Jesus in me is a lot of things. Jesus in me is unity. Holiness is not just Jesus in me. Unity is Jesus in me. So when Christ is in me, then what happens is I begin to be able to be like Christ. And there's a balance to all this, and I'll come to those things as we come to it. But there's an organic unity. And listen, part of that unity... Is what Jesus has done for us and in us. And the Bible says that God is love. And He loves people. And He overlooks some things. He overlooks a lot of things. And He deals with sin. And He's truth. But how do you maintain unity in a relationship? Well, there's four qualities. Look in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Philippians 2, one if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. Notice these synonyms for unity, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So it deals with selfishness there. There's four qualities that produce unity and help us to maintain unity and the environment. They're given to us in pardon me in verse one. Consolation, comfort of love, fellowship, and then bowels and mercies are really two sides of the same coin. First of all, consolation. I'm just going to mention this and move on because I preached a couple of messages on this. The word consolation means to soothe the person's pains with your presence and words. That's what consolation means. Uh, Do you do that when you come up? Are you a soothing uh, personality? Do Do you soothe people with your presence and your words? And then comfort of love means to bring comfort and support that's motivated by love. The word is agape. That's the love of God. That means that love tempers. It tempers what you say and what you do. That means that there's some things that I don't say and some things I don't do. And that love motivates me some things to say and some things to do. That's the comfort of love. That love shows up. There are some times that, that uh, frankly, that I, I haven't felt well. But love made me go somewhere to comfort. And I really didn't have much to offer but my presence. And that's the comfort of love. And then thirdly, notice in verse... One there in chapter 2, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, and that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, or today, we'll stay till tonight. No, we won't. If any fellowship of the Spirit. I want to talk to you about fellowship. Fellowship is one of those words that everybody uses in the church, but few people know what it means, and they rarely practice it because they don't understand it. And let me define fellowship. Here's the definition that I want to give you. Fellowship is a relationship. It's not just an event, it's a relationship. Fellowship is a relationship centered on Christ and God's Word, characterized, and here's the, what it looks like, authenticity, transparency, and trust. Those three characteristics. Authenticity, transparency, and trust. Fellowship is what happens between two people. It's a friendship, and these three things increase: the greater the authenticity, the greater the transparency, the greater the trust. Trust is the glue of any relationship. If you don't have trust, you don't have a good relationship. You don't trust someone, you're not going to have a good. You're not going to have a relationship with them. And so, the way you have that is it comes through Christ. Only Christians Christians can really fellowship with each other. But as you engage with the Lord Jesus Christ and God through His Word, and then what happens is you begin to fellowship with people. You see, again, fellowship is a byproduct. Are you, are you with me on this? Stay with me. I don't want to lose you right here. You don't just say, let's fellowship. You see, uh, probably another synonym in for fellowship is friendship. It's like this: if if the uh, saint brother Eric is my friend, and he is, I, I don't get to see Eric very often, but I I say, uh, hey Eric, we haven't hooked up. I want to talk to you, and so just just few minutes. So he comes and he sits on the front row, and I sit down by him. So okay, Eric. All right, let's be, let's be close. Let's have a closer relationship. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. It's about as silly as you getting married and sitting down with your wife say, saying, let's have a closer relationship because you're married, because you have a certificate. Or having kids and not spending any time with them and then one day when they're in trouble, sitting down and said, let's have a closer relationship. There's no authenticity. There's no transparency. There's no trust. You see, the byproduct, fellowship is a byproduct of other factors. You don't find fellowship. Fellowship finds you. Now, I'm being intentional in my words. I, I, hope, I hope this is making some sense to you. Look at this. Unity is maintained. You see the word maintained? Unity is maintained through a byproduct of people when they have Christ-centered relationships that are characterized by authenticity, transparency, and trust. That's why fellowship is crucial in unity. The more people in our church that have biblical fellowship, that means that you're having Christ-centered relationships and it increases your authenticity, your transparency, and trust, then it it deepens the unity in our church. Because I'm going to tell you, when you find those people, you don't want to break unity with them. Now, I've been in this church for 36 years, over 36 years. You say, well, how do you do that? You practice what I just talked about. I have a lot of friends in this church. I have a lot of friends that aren't in this church anymore. I have friends that used to be in this church and go to other churches, and I'm still friends with them. Now You say, well, preacher, I I don't understand all of that. Well, I don't understand all of it either, but I believe it. Because, listen, I can be your friend even if you're not my friend. I can be authentic, and I can be transparent, and I can be trustworthy even if you're not. So the door to fellowship is open. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want to have fellowship. So what happens is we, we come to this with a 50-50 thing. Well, look, I, I will if you will. Well, you you'll you never will then. You never will have deep. Relating, there will be conflict. Somebody's got to hoist a white flag every now and then say, I'm not going to fight. I'm just not going to fight. I mean, sometimes, I like it when Paula's not here because I can say a lot of things. I love you, Paula. I know you're listening out there in TV land. I'd say it Anyway. But some of you, those of you that are married, you know what this is like. You'll get into a discussion. And you say, well, look, I I know I've got a word here, especially if you're a man. I think women can think this way too, but men are like this. This is the end all. Yes. And can I say this in the pulpit? You idiot. Now the holy spirit of god he may not use that word maybe he will but he would say why don't you just be quiet is it really worth it for you to do is it really is your ego so big so that you can get the last word in lady is it a hill upon which to die some of you, those of you that are here and you've never been married, you say, well, I'm not going to be like that. I want you to write it on a piece of paper, sign it, give it to your parents. So when you come over the house, kind of looking down, say, what's wrong? I say, oh, nothing. They're going to pull that paper out and say, is that what's wrong? Got some of that No, listen, it's a human condition called sin. Now listen carefully. Most of us understand the word fellowship, but we don't understand what it means. We, we really don't understand the principles of friendship. Now, the word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means this. It means to share and to communicate. It has the idea of have something in, having something in common. And God created you to fellowship with other people. Now, there's different degrees, and you can't have the same amount of fellowship. God created you and me to have friends. God created you and me to know and to be known. And you'll never be fulfilled until you do that. And again, you can't have the same amount with everybody. That's why God one of the purposes that God created you. Now the qualities of friendship are the most basic foundation of any relationship. You show me a brother and sister that get along, it's because they're good friends. You show me a husband and wife that gets along, it's because they're good friends. Uh, I, I love Paula, but I like her. I like her. She's my friend. She's a great friend. You see, friendship is at the core and these dynamics. So here here's my question. Do you have friends in your home? Are you are you with me? Do you have friends in your home? So well, I have a brother, I have a sister, I have a wife, I have children. Well, I understand how that works out, okay, but, but are they your friends? Now when they're you and right now some of you are thirteen or fourteen say, so, Well, my daddy spanked me last week. Well, when you're twenty three you can be a friend, okay. Those things will change. That gets it gets better. But do you have friends? Now here's another question. Do you have friends in the church? Sometimes it can be a church's fault, but sometimes it's, it's your fault. I, I read a story about uh, somebody that came to the church, and they, they came one Sunday. Nobody talked to them. Came next Sunday, and nobody talked. them, said, I'm going to go one more time. And say, if nobody talks to I'm not coming back. And I've had this happen when I've gone to churches. I've gone to big churches where it's happened. People think it doesn't happen in small churches, but it does. And then uh, somebody came up and talked to them, and they became friends. And uh, they were both single, and the single person said uh, that introduced them to the person that's come back for the third time said, Well, the reason <clears throat> that I came back was because nobody talked to me. And they said, me too. I was fixing to leave. And they both they both found each other like magnets in a church. It's important to be friendly, but having a friendly church is not the same as having a church where you can find friends. My favorite couplet is this. Okay. I went out to, to find a friend, but there were no friends there. I went out to be a friend, and friends were everywhere. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends. I I have friends that would tell you that Rick is my best friend. But if you ask me, is that your best friend? I'd say, no. But they would say that. Now listen, if you want to have friends, you have to sow friendship. Now this is not necessarily a, a message on friendship. Part of it is. Because this is how, this is how. That we maintain unity is in the matter of fellowship. Now, I want to go a little deeper in this because some people only let you get so close. Now You may be here this morning and and I want to kind of uh, pick at the scab a little bit, okay? And and maybe you say, "Well, well, preacher, I have a hard time making friends. A lot of people have a hard time making friends because they're afraid of truth, authenticity, and transparency. And so because of that, they can't, they can't get close to people because of those three things. Now, the key to any relationship that's close to fellowship, as I defined it, is authenticity. Because that leads to trust. Shallow relationships are ripe for conflict. Because I'm going to be committed to my wife if she disappoints me. She's going to be committed to me because we love each other, because we like each other, because we have goodwill with each other. If I do something that disappoints her, I've got enough goodwill in the bank for her to know, you know, he doesn't feel good today or he doesn't mean that. And even if he did, you know, he's acting in the flesh right now. Shallow relationships are are ripe for conflict. Now listen carefully. When a person lacks authenticity, transparency, and trust, they manifest it through fear. And and they begin to to say, I'm only going to let you get so close. And let me give you some application here. When I lack authenticity, transparency, and truth, number one... I'm afraid of admitting my faults, and I become defensive. And what I do is I, I, I deny any weaknesses or sins. And rather than be honest to that about things, I accuse other people and I excuse my own weaknesses, because I cannot be wrong. This morning I was reading again in, in, uh, the story in Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, the first sin. When they had sinned and God came to Adam, He said, Adam, He said, "Uh, where are you? He said, we're hiding, Lord. He said, "Uh, did you partake of of the fruit? Did you do this? He said, the woman you gave me, she, she gave it to me. He didn't answer the question. He blamed her. God went to the woman. He said, "He said, who told you that you could do this? Did you do this?" She said, "The serpent deceived me." And blame shifting began even in the Garden of Eden. There was no transparency. There was no truth. There was no trust. I wonder this morning what faults do you get defensive about when your wife brings it up? What faults do you get do you get defensive about when your husband brings it up or when your parents bring it up? You see this is not fellowship. Now I'm not saying you need to go around and be a professional critic. But sometimes people will God will use people to help us in our blind spots. Secondly, when we lack a authenticity, transparency, and trust, we're afraid of expressing our feelings. And so we withdraw and we isolate. When somebody gets too close to us and, and our heart is touched and warmed, rather than express ourselves, we, we shut down. We just shut it down. And we live on an island. I remember when my mom had her 80th birthday earlier that day. Um, and that afternoon, my football coach had passed away. And, uh, and then that evening, we had her 80th birthday party. I had written a, a piece about my, my football coach. I had seen him at a funeral a few months earlier, and uh, he had had an influence in my life, and I just began to write some things, and, and I published it on a blog that I have, and it, it got some traction, and it was placed in some other places. And uh, somebody came to my mom's birthday party that was at the funeral, and it was a coach, another coach. And I went up to him, I was indebted to this coach too. And, and tears formed in his eyes. He said, I read what you wrote about Coach Meadows. And here's, here's what a, a football coach said, a crusty coach, a good man. He said, why can't I do that? I said, well, you do a lot of things well. That's not what I'm talking about. Why can't I express how I feel? Tears are in his eyes. You put, you put in perfect words the way that you felt and, and said some things that I wanted to say. Why can't I do that? And what he was saying was not this why can't I write? But why can't I express? We're afraid of expressing our love, our gratitude. Here's what we do: when we feel warm or grateful, we think that's that's sufficient. Well, I love them. I'm grateful for them. I want you to write something down. Listen to this. Write this down. Unexpressed gratitude is ingratitude. Or, but this unexpressed love. Is is not love. Now, love is doing, but that's just part of the equation. One day, you're going to wish you did. I tell you this a lot, but I'm telling you a lot because I don't want you to have to do that. We're afraid of expressing our feelings, and then sometimes we we're hurt. We're disappointed. And that disappointment turns into bitterness and it begins to eat away at the relationship. Sometimes when you're hurt, when your spouse hurts you, when your friend hurts you, you need to go to them. Some people say, well, if you're hurting, go to them. I say, not always. And I'll tell you what. Because some people are more hurt than other people. Hurting people hurt people and hurting people are hurt by people. And if you're easily hurt, if, if there's a person that has goodwill, and you're, you're frequently hurt, maybe the problem is not them and it's not other people. Sometimes if it's, if it's a small issue, God will give you the grace to, to get through that. It just depends upon... The issue. It's afraid of expressing our feelings. Thirdly, we lack authenticity, transparency, trust. We're afraid of getting hurt. Now, listen to this we're afraid of getting hurt, so we do not trust people and we try to control the relationship. We manipulate the relationship. You cannot manage a relationship. I mean, my little grandchildren come over. You can't manage those kids. You can't manage expectations. There's a great book on marriage. I forget the author right now, but if you've never read it, it's called What Did You Expect? You ought to read it. What did you expect? Some of us have brought into our, our relationships all of these expectations. And when they're not fulfilled, we get hurt. And then so we get out of that relationship, we leave that church, we go to the next We say, well, that will never happen to me again. So I'm going to manage, <laughs> I'm going to manage this church. I'm going to manage this, I'm smiling. I'm going to manage this person. You, you can't do that. There's a dynamic there. You don't manage your wife, you don't manage your husband. You can't do that. You're going to get hurt. People are going to do that. It happens. Many relationship issues are rooted in a power struggle. Insecure people do not experience close relationships. And you get your insecurity from God. You get your security from God. Insecurity is native to the old nature Now, I wrote this down. I think this is important. Listen to this. When I make my personal rights my focus of my relationships, are you listening? When the focus of my personal relationships is my personal rights, I will be offended a lot, I will be angry a lot, and I will be alone a lot. That's the truth. When I make my personal rights... At the core of my relationships, I will be offended a lot. I will be angry a lot. And I will be alone a lot because nobody wants to be there with me. Because I'm an angry person. And I'm a wounded person. In First John chapter 4, the Bible talks about standing before God and, and facing Him. And it says, uh, we're going to be judged by him. It's going to be a fearful time. But then he says this in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love. And the word perfect there means a mature love, a strong, mature love, a grown-up love. Cast out fear. Do you see that? Because fear has torment. And the torment here is that of being judged. Because I'm not accepted. But when you know that you have Christ, He that feareth is not made perfect in love. But I have perfect love in Christ. Because He has forgiven me in spite of all of my foibles, in spite of all of my sins. And He's forgiven me. That's perfect love. That's grown-up love. Do you have that kind of love for other people? You see, sometimes we get around and we say, well, I I wish someone would love me like that. But you got it wrong. I've told you this before, but it bears saying it again. In my relationship with my children, the bigger messes they make, the more mercy I have. And I'm going to tell you why. Because that's when they have the most torment. My daddy's not going to love me anymore he's a pastor i've disappointed him, but the little things boy i 'll be strong on those now. I told you to be in at this time now i'm going to, we're going to draw the line, and here's the punishment, and it's going to be severe because that's going to protect them but when my kids when my kids make a mess. And really have some an issue. I have a lot of mercy for him. Because perfect love casts out fear. But you get that from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to look in your Bible in first in Philippians chapter two and verse one as we close here. Notice what it says. It doesn't say if any fellowship. It says if any fellowship of the Spirit if any, fellowship of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It means that you're... It talks about your fellowship with God. Your fellowship with God. You see, it's your fellowship with God that cultivates genuineness in your life. As I fellowship with the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, when I'm confronted with the truth, when I'm in the Word of God, when I'm listening to this message... As I'm speaking on the outside, as you you hear the truth on the outside, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, speaks to you on the inside. It says, I want to have fellowship with you. I want you to be more authentic in this area. There's some things you need to fix. There's some things you need to change. I want you to align yourself with truth in this area that's called repentance. And, And watch. As we do that, the overflow... Of our repentance, of our spending time with God, of our aligning ourselves with truth, as it makes us qualified to be better fellowshippers. Because it makes us more transparent, it makes us more truthful, it makes us more trustworthy, it makes us better people. Charles Spurgeon said Satan always hates Christian fellowship it is his policy to keep christians apart anything which can divide saints from one another he delights in he attaches far more importance to godly fellowship than we do since union is strength he does his best to promote separation satan will isolate you say stay away from church stay away from life group don't don't get involved Stay where you're at. That's what the enemy will do. Spurgeon said this, Some Christians try to go to heaven alone in solitude, but believers are not compared to lions, bears, or other animals that wander alone. But those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect that they love to get together. Sheep go in flocks. And so do God's people. We flock together. We help each other. We put our arms around each other appropriately. We show up for one another. We pick each other up, we dust each other off. We believe in each other. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You see that? You know what that verse means? That means the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. It was not an emotional experience. You did not receive a force. You did not receive an influence. You received the Spirit of God mind, emotion, and will. You received a person. And He speaks to you. That's why the Bible says here if any fellowship of the Spirit, if you're a Christian, You have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. In whom, that's in Christ, you also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom, also after that, you believe you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God promised that he would give you his spirit and he sealed you. Back then, they didn't have um, telephones. They didn't have, they sure didn't have internet. And so what they would do is to authenticate a document, they would take the message like this. They would melt some wax. They would put it along the edge of the document. And then the king or the messenger, whoever was going to authenticate it, had a ring. While the wax was still moist along the edges, he would press his ring into that wax, and it would seal it. And So the recipient would receive it, and he would look, and he would say, This is who this document is from. It is a seal, listen carefully, of ownership. That's what that word seal means. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. I have his seal. He owns me. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Have you trusted Christ this morning? You have the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. The Bible talks about the fellowship of His Spirit. He wants to fellowship with you. Listen, some of you, you're not fellowshipping with people because you're not right with God. You're not listening to Him. Your life is not in alignment with truth. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? That wherever I go, God goes. I love this. I, I think about this every Sunday morning as a preacher. It helps me. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, Jesus said in the last day, that great day of the feast, that Jesus stood and cried, Saying, you feed him in thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly, out of his innermost being, out of his heart, shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him would should receive. Out of his innermost being, out of his belly, shall flow rivers of living water. That's a resource, an access a bubbling well, a fresh stream of strength and encouragement. This morning I listened to a song, There is a River, it came on again. And I think of this scripture when I hear that song. Now the God has given you His Spirit, if you're saved, if you're not saved, you do not have the Spirit of God to help you, to equip you, can I say it this way, to have friends. Now that's not the purpose of this, but it's a byproduct You cannot be the friend you're supposed to be without the Holy Spirit because you cannot be in alignment with truth and you can never know the full transparency, the full trust, the full authenticity that He wants you to have. But I want to show you one other aspect of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Know ye not that ye are... The temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. You see the words are, Those are plural. It's second person plural. And he's speaking to the church. He's saying as a church at large, you are the temple and the Spirit dwells corporately. Now pay attention to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all... All of you baptized into one body, one spirit, one body, whether we be Jews, Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. All of us have the same spirit. We drink of one spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 there's one body, the body of Christ, one spirit. Even as you're called into one hope of your calling. You see, there's a corporate sense where that when we gather together, those of us that are Christians, you are indwelt individually with the Holy Spirit of God. But when we come together, the Spirit of Christ, the presence of Jesus Christ is here. The Spirit of God is manifest in his body. And here's a very practical scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. This is one of the few verses in the Bible where the entire Trinity is mentioned. The Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost. The word communion means means to fellowship and to share with. This is the secret of the Christian life. To fellowship with God and fellowship with people. That's it. Walking with God, walking with people. Loving God, loving people. fellowshipping with God, fellowshipping with people. Have you fellowship with God this past week? If you haven't, you will never fellowship with people. And there will never be any unity in your home. There will never be any unity in the church. That's why he says here in Philippians 2.1, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit... Oswald Chambers said, human fellowship can go to great lengths, but not all the way. Fellowship with God can go to all lengths. So unity is maintained through a byproduct of people, establishing Christ-centered relationships characterized by authenticity, transparency, and trust. Yesterday, I drove to Athens and participated in a funeral. My friend of 42 years had lost his wife to COVID. And uh, as I stood by him at the casket and comforted him, I had no words. I said some words, but I I don't know how they helped him. But our eyes, as they just peered into each other, and the love, the fellowship of years past, one day day you're going to need a friend. In your time, in your darkest hour, And some of you need to be that friend. While I was waiting out in the the hall, I saw a couple walk by, and I put my arms around both of them and hugged them. Less than two weeks ago, their their 19-year-old grandson passed away like that, without warning. And they had come to comfort this man And as we embraced and hugged in the hallway, again, there were words spoken, but there were more tears. Listen, you you need to build friends. Friends, not just playing board games, and that's a good thing, but that's not fellowship. That's a part, that's a component. Nothing wrong with that. But align yourself with the truth. Have communion with the Holy Spirit. Be transparent. Be authentic. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. Let me shape you into His image. Is our church better for you being a part of it? I wrote down some things. Number one, if you've never been born again and you don't have peace in your heart, would you trust Christ? Would you come to Jesus? Would you trust Him as your Savior? You can have fellowship with Him. He can deal with these things of hurt and shame and guilt and fear that I talked about earlier in your life, these things that are keeping you from people can help you to forgive yourself and, 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 forg- and seek forgiveness of Christ. He can help you with those things. Second thing I put down is you need to get in a small group in and in a ministry. Now that's not going to make you have fellowship. I think sometimes we deal with the surface thing. We'll do this. It can make you available, though. it's a portal. And once you're there, you're available and you you can begin to do these things. Get in a small group. Sometimes in a large facility like this, you can just kind of rub shoulders. And then, number three, deal with your fear and the expressions of it. Deal with the issue of being defensive, making excuses. Just say, God, help me stop doing that. I'm afraid. Say, honey, you're right. I do that. I'm sorry. Next time, just don't say anything. Stop saying the last word. Deal with the evidence of withdrawing and shutting down, and and not expressing your heart when you when you feel love, when you feel grateful. Learn to say it. Learn to express it. I'll tell you one thing I try to do is I say it in different ways. The evidence of not trusting other people, trying to control people, control everybody. Moms do that sometimes. You know, they want everything to be perfect. You can't control the relationship. Your kids grow up. And bring it to the only one that's perfect love, which is Jesus. You can trust Him because He can fix it. I want you to bow your heads with me. Would you do that? Thank you for listening this morning. I would like to ask